Welcome, everyone, back to the latest episode of The Graw Pod. I'm Doug Graw here. Happy to be joined, as always, by Gary Randall. Good to talk to you again, Gary. Likewise, Doug. Glad to be here. I'm looking out the window here. It's Minnesota. It's March. The sun is shining. There's still too much snow on the ground, but my spirits are raised a little bit here because the sun is out and opening day is a week away. So I'm feeling good. It's a week away, but when you look outside, you'd guess it might be a little bit longer than that. I was talking to a friend in the agriculture business, and he was telling me about how they're going to be in the field in a month, which I'm sure they will, but it certainly doesn't look like it today here in Minnesota. Well, we talk about the transition of the seasons, transitions in the markets. One thing that I know people start to look at right now or are looking at right now is driver qualifications. And what are we doing with driver qualifications? And I bring it up because I've had a handful of questions related to some motor vehicle accidents. What was in driver qualification files? What should they be looking at and all that kind of stuff? And I thought, you know what, I think this would be a good topic for you and I to touch base on as we're looking at adding drivers to our fleets, whether they're independent contractors or employees, if we just kind of look at it through that safety and that operations lens, what are we looking for? How do we set good criteria or guidelines? I like guidelines a lot more than I like criteria because criteria can kind of come across as a little too black and white. And I think there needs to be some room for some gray. But I thought it'd be good to talk through that and kind of some things that trucking companies should be taking into consideration as they evaluate their qualifications criteria. Well, there's really probably four or five things that can get a trucking company in trouble most often when it comes to qualification file violations. I think one of them is they forget to maintain individual qualification files for all the drivers. This stuff is going to sound basic in many ways, but it is really the four or five things that companies get in trouble with. There's a negative drug test that's missing on the file. There's the absence of a current medical certificate, med card, not maintaining the driver's employment record in the qualifications file. And maybe a fifth one is dealing with an unqualified or physically unfit driver. I think what happens is, is companies go into it with good intentions as they bring the gentleman on or bring the lady on to drive, but then the paperwork gets put in a file and it gets forgotten about and the file doesn't get maintained. You raise a good point here. When we talk about driver qualifications, I think there's a couple of lenses to look at. One is the compliance piece, which is some of what you're talking about there. The DOT, when they're looking at your qualifications, if you're in some kind of a safety review or so forth, I'm never going to say the DOT will just let things slide. They won't. They're not going to let things slide. They see a mistake. They're going to flag it. They're going to write it up in their report. And there's a decent chance that there'll be a fine or some kind of a penalty associated with it. But most people can live with, I made a mistake. I've got to pay a fine. I'm going to have something on my record and I got to get better. You don't want that, but you can live through that and you'll make it. But what trucking companies need to recognize is while the fines may not be that huge, they can shut you down. If you come across to a DOT officer, an FMCSA officer that you're not really trying, you don't have good practices in place. It's not that you missed one, you missed a dozen of them, you missed a half dozen of them. You have a pattern of missing these things. When it really starts to look like you don't have good controls, you're not really trying, you're not putting resources behind it, they just shut you down. 
And it's not a matter of tell us what you're going to do better and we'll come back later on and maybe we'll let you go then. No, it is you're done right now. You've got X amount of days to fix it or else you're done forever. So people need to take that compliance stuff. It might sound trivial of who cares if I missed one form in a driver qualifications file. It does matter. It is evidence that your processes might be lacking. Your diligence might be lacking. Well, and I think what you're saying, and I agree a hundred percent, you can't show ignorance to the law. You certainly can't portray that you're above the law. Well, I'll get to that tomorrow. You can't be ignorant of the law. Well, that doesn't really matter. You have to have your qualification files up to date and tended to with the expectation that someone's going to come in and look. And I think where a lot of companies get in trouble is they say to themselves, there are so many carriers out there. What are the odds that someone's going to come in here and look? And then all of a sudden, one day, someone's knocking on the door and the odds caught up with you. A little bit of a plug here is what is frustrating from, I think, your perspective and my perspective, Gary, is when we see people who might be lacking a little bit in this area is they're lacking when you and I both know some very good help in this area. There are some excellent advisors that really dig in deep on DOT compliance and really can help out trucking companies. So I encourage our listeners to reach out. We're happy to put people in contact, whether it's the mock audits, the deep dive compliance reviews, and this is how you set up a better process. And this is what good files look like and all those kind of things. We know some really good people in that space and would love to make introductions. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about more the accident prevention side of this qualifications and what that looks like and so forth. Gary, I'd be curious as to your thoughts on this. As you look at how do I prevent accidents? If I'm an owner of a company, I have to be thinking to myself, I can invest in technology, I can invest in processes, and I can invest in people. But I've only got so much money. Where do I put my time? Where do I put my money? How do I make some priority decisions to keep my organization safe? Any thoughts come to mind there, Gary? Well, I think with the technology side, the term I would use is you need to cautiously invest in the technology. What I mean by that is, is you need to have systems that are going to help you manage this, but you also need to make sure that you're utilizing those systems that are helping you manage this. You can spend a lot of money as an owner and feel very good about the fact that you've given all the tools that are needed to the staff and that the staff is going to manage it. But if you don't go in and inspect that and ensure for yourself that those tools are being properly implemented and utilized, then that technology really doesn't do anything for you. So when I say cautiously invest, I mean, pick the system that you believe is best for your company, invest in that system, but be cautious about how comfortable you get in terms of its use. Make sure that you or someone that works with you is checking up on that and ensuring that that internal audit happens to make sure that those tools are being used. I would add to that, Gary, by saying prioritize some in-truck, what prevents accidents right there on the road. Let's prioritize that technology first. I agree with you. There are a lot of systems to consider and should be considered very seriously and invested in as far as the ability to get data and the ability to improve performance. I don't want to discount that technology at all. It's good stuff. My first dollar, though, is probably going to, can we just make sure there's technology on the trucks that prevents accidents? Now, that doesn't mean go out and buy every bell and whistle. To your point, let's make sure stuff is proven. It's got a track record to it, and it really helps. And we've heard it from enough drivers. You get too many bells and whistles going on in a truck. 
something's beeping at me every 10 seconds, that's not good either. You can go overboard, but there are some baseline technologies. The one that immediately comes to mind is collision mitigation. Collision mitigation, it's pretty tried and true technology at this point. That's good stuff. I do recommend investing in that. But I think another thing that's not talked about enough when it comes to let's just try to prevent accidents is what are we doing to make sure we're qualifying the right people? We've got a significant driver shortage issue, quality of driver shortage issue, kind of whatever you want to call it. There is definitely a demand and a strong need for more good drivers in the industry. And we can have five other podcasts about how we as an industry can do more to develop quality drivers in the industry. And we need to do those things. But I want us to spend a little bit of time just talking about how if you invest in making sure the people on the front end coming into your organization have good records and have proven that they can drive safely and are choosing to drive safely every day, how much that influences whether or not you're going to be in accidents. Oh, I think it's dramatic. It's a dramatic influence on your ability to operate safely. So I think what you need to ask yourself, especially as drivers are so hard to come by, it's tempting for carriers to relax a little bit and maybe get away from their expectations in terms of the type of driver they're bringing in. But it is really an area where you've got to just dig your heels in the ground. You've got to say, here's what our expectations are, and we're really not going to waver from those expectations. In that instance, you're betting on yourself from the standpoint of you're confident in the processes you've put in place and the expectations of drivers that you've put in place, and you're just not going to waver from them. I think the carriers we see that get in trouble more often than not, they get into a desperate recruiting situation, and pretty soon they drop their guard down a little bit. That usually is not without consequence. Yeah. You can be gray on some guidelines and there are ways you can develop drivers and you can improve some habits. There are some things you can do. So you can, I don't love the word exceptions, but you can make exceptions. You can tolerate some things if you have plans to develop, if you have plans to work with that person and help them improve. That is perfectly justifiable. As far as I'm concerned, people do deserve second chances with help. People can improve. I very much believe in that stuff. But I think to the point you're making is where we do see some people struggle is they start to lower their guidelines a little bit without a plan, without a plan for what we're going to do about it. For example, one thing might be is we might actually be okay with some speeding violations in their background because we've got governors on the trucks. That to me can make sense that you're doing a little bit of trade-off. You're not really lowering your standards because you have a plan in place to deal with it. That's the type of stuff that I'm getting at. If you've got a training program, if you've got a ride-along program, those things can help offset some things you might do in your qualifications guidelines. Let's take a minute, Gary. When you are looking at a file, you're thinking about whether or not this driver can be a good fit for this organization. What are some things that you want to see in that background for that driver We all know we want to see somebody with nothing on their record of any kind every time in 10 years of pristine employment history. You don't find those a lot. So being more realistic, what are some things that you would look for? I would say consistency. What I mean by that is is consistency in sticking with a carrier 
So come up with the number of previous jobs that you think is okay over a certain amount of time and stick to that. That's an indicator. Once you determine what you believe is the right numbers there, stick to those because that consistency is important. And I think you can use the word consistency and performance as well. What I mean by that is, is yeah, there may be a speeding ticket as you suggested earlier, or there may be some other kind of violation, but overall, does this guy's results present a picture of a pretty consistent, pretty steady quality driver? And if they do, then you certainly want to ask about those times when something did happen. But if the overall picture is one of consistency, both in number of jobs and in performance, I think that's what I look for the most. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And so one of the tools that comes to mind, we can talk a little about where you can get information and we'll get into this in a little bit. But one example can be is you can see what's called a PSP report, PSP report coming from the FMCSA, which the short version is it's a way to see their inspection history and violation history. It might have some overlap with MBRs, but not really. It really has more to do with FMCSA violations. If you see that consistently they're getting inspected and doing well on those inspections, that's a good sign. That's a consistency performance. If you see this person has a violation about half of their inspections, that also is a sign of things. The word that comes to my mind is what kind of patterns are jumping out at you. People can tell you about themselves all the time, but really what matters is what they show you about themselves. So let's see what we can see in these records for patterns to determine, are the issues exceptions to the rule or are the issues the rule? Well, I think an example of what you're talking about would be if you saw speeding violations and if you noticed that there was issues with the pre and post trip inspections, does that paint a picture of a driver who's always running late, always in a hurry, a poor time manager? And I think you have to draw some conclusions like that when you're trying to determine whether you want to bring the person on or not. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So let's talk a little bit about areas that you can look at. What are some resources you can use as you're evaluating driver guidelines? And keeping in mind is all of this process has to be done relatively quickly. There is such a demand for drivers to attract and retain good drivers. You have to be able to be decisive and you got to be able to be decisive in relatively short order. So you got to know, where am I going to get information? You can't just hunt down any and all possible rabbit holes anywhere in the world. That's not realistic. But where are the three, four, five areas you can check to get a good picture of this person's history, their consistency, their patterns, their exceptions, and make those decisions? We know that you can look at PSPs. We've talked about that. You can look at background checks. You can look at MBRs. You can look at work history. Those are all good things to look at, and all of them are also flawed. So it's important to look at more than one of those, and ideally, you'd look at all of those. And don't forget the conversation. I think that's as critical as anything. I think that you develop your list of three or four, five probing questions that you want to ask the driver that you're considering Yes, you should use the tools that you just mentioned, Doug. That gives you some data and some statistical history of that driver. But I think just as important as anything is that conversation. And it's not, I, Joe, what do you think the twins are going to do this year? It's three or four probing questions that you want to ask every driver that comes on board. 
And if you can develop those questions into situational questions so that you understand how the driver or how the driver believes or portrays that he or she's going to react when something comes up, I think that's as important as anything you can do. Yeah, you're right. And putting on my lawyer hat for a minute, I've been frustrated in my past when I'm dealing with an issue with someone and I hear from somebody in the recruiting world or in the onboarding team or in the operations world that says, oh, I knew on day one, this guy wasn't going to be any good or this girl wasn't going to be any good because they were mouthy about this or they weren't responsive to anything that I asked them. They've got something they're saying is I knew all along this wasn't going to to work. And to my point is, why didn't you say something? That's exactly right. So your people need to speak up. That's what you're saying. And that's absolutely right. There's another great opportunity that a lot of people don't take advantage of. When you get a room full of drivers and you're bringing them in for orientation, you're going to feed them, go eat with them, go eat with them and just listen, be a good listener and converse with them. You'll get a feel for the flavor of the room by conversing with them. You'll also be able to make some determinations by how those folks interact with their peers as to what kind of issues you think you could have or what kind of great leader you could be bringing on. It can be negative, but it can certainly be positive at the same time. But it's important to just sit down with them, have some lunch and listen a little bit. Yeah, I like that a lot. You really can glean a lot of information in that regard. So let me ask you this, Gary, when we're talking about the qualification process, somebody has to review this stuff. Somebody has to make these decisions. What are some recommendations or some thoughts you have or some history you've had regarding who are the people doing these reviews? Who are the people making these decisions? And how do we know they're making good decisions? Yeah, I think the who piece of it, by department, there needs to be an operations person that has input and a chance to review because those folks are going to be working hand in hand with these drivers each day. There certainly has to be a safety representative that takes a look at it and makes sure that they feel comfortable with everything there. And then I think if you have a lease purchase program, which many carriers do, you want someone who's going to be a business advocate for that driver or work with that driver through the lease purchase program to also take a look at it. And I think if you can do that, if you can incorporate all three of those, you're going to end up with a safe driver who's going to operate well within your network and who has a handle on what kind of business relationship they're getting into with the company through that lease purchase program. I like what you said there, because I don't get too hung up on, oh, it should be this department or that department that does the review and makes the decisions. Now, there's some practical aspects of, well, your recruiter should be your first line of review. They should be listening for some things. They can ask some basic questions. There's obviously a lot of things like, well, if you've never driven our type of equipment, probably not a good fit. They can do some of that initial screening. That is perfectly prudent. It is perfectly prudent that safety somewhere along the lines does have to give their check. And yes, I agree with you. Operations somewhere along the lines does have to give their check. What I think is critical though, is whoever you have on the team making these decisions, looking at these reviews, tries to look at it from beyond just their department's perspective. It's natural and healthy in many ways to have a little bit of friction. If I'm a leader of an organization, I really don't mind if my head of recruiting and my head of safety argue a little bit about who gets qualified. If I don't have any arguments, then I don't have any advocates and somebody is just steamrolling the other one. And that's not good for my organization. Either I'm letting in stuff that I shouldn't be letting in, or I'm saying no way too often. 
So there should be a little bit of friction. But what you do want is those people to be thinking to themselves, can this person, based on what we know, operate equipment safely? Can they deliver freight on time and legally? And can they treat people well? And do they want to do those things? It's not about this guy did or this gal did something really bad 20 years ago, so thou shall never drive for us again. Really, how much longer are we going to hold on to that thing 20 years ago? And I think what I get frustrated about is when I see any one department, and I've seen all three of those departments take their turns as the steamroller, but I don't like it when I see any one of them steamrolling the others. You want that broad picture to make those decisions because you're thinking to yourself, can this person be successful, be safe, be legal, be professional in my environment? I think what you just said at the very end there is so critical too, in my environment. So these people that are making these decisions and are reviewing the drivers, they've got to be pretty intelligent about what the culture of the company is. And they've got to understand, is this going to be a good fit? or not. And fit really is defined by, are we going to have the equipment that the driver is going to be successful in? Are we going to be able to offer up the book of business that the driver is going to be successful in? And do they fit the culture of our organization? Before we started to record today, you and I were just talking about a purchase in the industry and we were talking about cultural differences between companies. And that's something you need to consider when you're bringing on drivers as well. Where's the driver driven before? If you know anything about the cultural fit at that organization, think about the differences between them and you and try to make sure that you understand and the driver understands that those differences might exist and you want to make sure that they're comfortable with them. Yeah, you're right. It's not just the cultural things. It can also just be your operational environment, your type of equipment. For example, if the PSP shows a lot of equipment inspection issues, but your operation allows you to see the equipment every day or every other day or something along those lines, maybe that equipment, I mean, while not good, obviously, but maybe that equipment inspection history is not as prominent an issue for you because you see the equipment and you can go down the line with other examples of how that can work. What does your environment do really well with? What does your environment struggle with? And adopt your qualifications guidelines accordingly. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're really putting a team together, right? So what is it that you visualize your team as being and who's going to fit the best on that team? We always use the sports analogies, right? If you're a team that's going to run the ball, you're going to go after a certain draft pick here in a couple of weeks. If you're a team that's going to throw the ball, you're probably looking at someone different. So let's understand what your team approach is and let's see if you can find folks that fit in there. Now, there's probably some folks out there that are listening to this saying, I don't have time for all that. I just need drivers. But the issue with that, of course, is recruiting is tough. Retention's even tougher. So you don't want to be recruiting turnover. You do want to pay attention to these things and make sure that you're considering them before you bring a driver on. To build off that, in my experience talking with drivers, they want to be very proud of where they work and who they work with. Who else on the road has trucks with their logo on it? When they are really proud, there's no better recruiter in the industry. They are fantastic. 
if they know that you're working hard to make sure the people that you bring in to power this equipment are good people that work well in your organization, they're going to be that much more proud to be with you as well. And that will help retention. You're exactly right. It is a challenge all the time. It's a constant thing in trucking is how do we make sure the trucks are full I feel bad for our industry. We get a bad rap. We pay well. We've got good pay going on in the industry. We've got lots of good opportunities for advancement. Whether you want to see the world or be home every day or something in between, our industry has got so many good things going on. And I wish more people knew about it because we can provide so many great opportunities for folks. But I know that challenge of we have to fill the trucks. Don't let it steamroll what else you've got going on in the industry. And don't forget the power of that retention. That's my end point there. Absolutely. So we've got maybe a minute or two left, but you did touch on something. We're recording this middle of March, kind of some big news in the industry this week. And that is Night Swift buying US Express. We're not a part of any of that. We're not privy to any of that. We don't know anything. We're not in on the deal or anything. So none of this stuff is along those lines. We've read the freight waves and the transport articles. That's all we know. But wow, that was noteworthy. What was kind of your reaction when you saw it, Gary? Well, I think it's one of those things. It's like the big trade. Right. If the two minor leaguers get traded for each other, yeah, it hits the headlines and it's interesting to read about. But when it's some of the more recognizable names in the industry are involved in a transaction like that, it gets people a little excited. They're interested in reading more about it. Yeah, no doubt about it. And some of the work that you and I do, Gary, and our team does is we've been on both sides of transactions. We've been on buyer side. We've been on seller side. We've had a variety of different roles within transactions. Sometimes it is helping people get themselves ready for one side of the fence or the other. Sometimes it is helping them execute and get through it. And sometimes it is, hey, let us take this other thing off of your plate so you can go focus on this deal. We've kind of played all three roles. And I'm just kind of curious, let's pretend for a moment that you were helping out the seller, Gary, and the seller came to you and said, hey, I think I'm going to do a deal. I've been talking with this person who I think is going to buy my company. We're going to start getting serious about negotiations. They're talking to you and just asking you for some quick thoughts on how to prepare or what they should be thinking about for their operation, for their business, while they owner start to work with their lawyers and accountants like crazy on the sell stuff. Yeah, I think it's important for the owner to understand that they're going to be all in on this sale, most likely. So if you think of it this way, they're going to be distracted from their daily duties as owners of the carrier. They're going to need to have someone in place or some people in place that can make sure the business continues to operate as usual while they focus on the transaction that's coming up. And I think that sometimes that gets taken for granted. Well, of course, the business is going to operate. I've got good people. I'll just pay attention to the transaction and the business will take care of itself. And I would suggest that unless you appoint some people or people and assign them to the responsibilities of truly managing the business, that can go wrong in a hurry. Bad things can happen there. All of a sudden you go from being an attractive acquisition for someone that you're in negotiations with to you don't look as attractive anymore. The fleet size has shrunk. You've lost two customers. You've got some missing equipment. You want the business to run as normal as possible while you're going through that transition. And just like you have to put resources toward the deal, you've got to put resources toward continuing to maintain the business until that signature goes on the piece of paper and it's no longer yours to worry about. 
Well, and to brag for you for a moment, we did exactly that. When I say we, I mean you for a client of, hey, client, you go focus on your deal. That's an important thing. You need to go do that. That's where your attention needs to be. What I'm going to do is make sure you don't lose customers. You don't lose equipment. You don't lose drivers. And everything keeps humming along for these next two, three, four months, whatever it is. I got the day to day. You go take care of what you need to take care of. That client I know has reached out to me personally and told me how fantastic a job you did with that. And that made me really proud to work with you. And I know you really enjoyed that work. That was good stuff. And that was kind of early on in our Graw Group adventure. And we're like, hey, we can do this. This can work. That was excellent work. And we've done a couple of more since then and really are enjoying that stuff. Yeah, we certainly are enjoying it. I appreciate the kind words, Doug. And I think that one of the things that really made that successful was the interest on the buyer's part of making sure that there was some consistency so that it wasn't just a situation of the people that have been working to manage the business during the transaction all of a sudden disappeared on the day that the purchase was finalized. There was carryover there. And I think that ensured a smooth transition. And the other thing that happens in a situation like that is it allows for the people on the floor to feel comfortable that they know someone that was working with them before the transition happened. And that same person, it doesn't have to be a long time, but for a certain amount of time after that transition is complete so that their world doesn't get completely turned upside down and that there's a comfort level that allows them to focus on the business rather than the change that's going on around them. Well said. I know we covered kind of two different topics here, but I again appreciate the discussion, Gary. I like to think this is helpful for our listeners. And I just want to say, I hope everybody has a good, safe start to the spring. I hope your baseball team starts out good in the standings. And until next time, be safe, everyone. Thank you.